Welcome. This is My Truth is a platform for honest, open conversations. The stories I share or that others share are often not spoken about or discussed, but once told, I believe they have the ability to shine a light on another perspective or a much needed conversation. These stories may make us laugh, some may make us cry, but together we will learn from one another and begin to heal. Because walls need to be torn down, masks need to come off, stories need to be heard in order for our truths to be told. This is my truth. Will you tell me yours? Hello, hello, podcast world. Welcome back to This Is My Truth. I am your host, Jesse Sherliff, and I have a treat of a conversation for you today. I chatted with my new friend, Sunny Van Mutius. Sunny, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. You told me to write it down. I did, and hopefully I still got it right. And oh my gosh, you know how just some people come into your path for all the reasons? I feel like that was the case with my conversation with Sunny. We talked about so many things, but when Sunny reached out to me, what I really wanted to dive into with her was her experience, um, having conversations or or taking this trip and having intentional conversations with people with extreme viewpoints. And what I loved about the conversation that we had was what she learned in that experience was she found the humanity in people, you know, she was able to understand that in these conversations with people, as she calls them, like the they, right? She was on this mission to understand who they were, and I'm using air quotes. She was able to understand at an intrinsic level that these people believe what they're, what what they truly believe in what they're saying. And it reminds me of the whole intention of this podcast, right? To create community and connection through sharing personal stories, because even if somebody has different experience or viewpoint or beliefs, they are still a human. And that does not mean you have to agree with them, but in Sunny's experience, learning to actively listen and she shares how she did that even in some like very extreme situations learning to trust yourself and knowing that you have the tools made all the difference so a little bit more about sunny from corporate shark to spiritual mentor sunny has reinvented herself many times over many times over each time finding an unexpected path forward and gathering new tools and stories to share along the way after a successful career as an it project manager she retired at 32 and then spent several years as a full-time nomad bartering her way around the u.s today as an intuitive strategist sunny is masterful at helping analytically minded people integrate spirituality into their daily lives and business she's currently pursuing ordination as a minister of metaphysics and lives in Orlando with her lifelong best friend, their cat and toddler. You can follow Sunny at, at wildfire, at wildflower strategy and at sunny underscore Sarah with no H and on her website at wildflowerstrategy.com. It is just such, 
such a good conversation and like the epitome of everything that I've ever wanted in, in a conversation. So I'm going to take some, some notes and some lessons for Sunny and think about how I can actually apply that to future conversations with guests for this podcast. So plug in your ear pads and enjoy my conversation with Sunny and let me know what you think. What resonated? What was your aha? What was your takeaway? And more importantly, I hope this conversation with Sunny takes you one step closer to finding your voice, owning your story, and speaking your own truth. Enjoy. Sunny, I'm so excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited for it. I love starting our conversations asking the question, what is the truth that you would like to share? I love this question. There's always more options. You very rarely have to do anything. There's always more options. Oh my gosh. We didn't even talk about this before we hit record, but that is like hitting so close to home for me right now. Tell me more. I think that we get stuck in like, I call it firefighter mode, reaction mode, survival mode is like so dominant right now for so many people with the world, the way it is that we, we kind of bounce around like that pinball and we just go from one thing to another, but you always can create a minute, a second to take a deep breath and assess what your choices are in front of you. And even if they're two crummy choices, they're still choices, right? And the more you build a muscle around doing that the more you'll notice even more opportunities and ways to have the opportunities that are crummy turn into something that still feels good and aligned. Sometimes the least crummy option is the most aligned option, right? I love that. Say that again. (laughs) Sometimes the least crummy option is the most aligned option. It can be crummy and still be aligned, right? It can be a shitstorm and still be aligned. Yes. I'm so curious because when my, my brain goes to like, picturing things. So I'm picturing like forks in the road, right. Mm-hmm. And those moments where you have those choices. And so I'm curious for you, what, what have been some of those moments where you faced, you know, those choices and you've either gotten like the less crummy or like, what has it looked like for you? And then on the flip side of that, you know, when you've made choices that may have not feel a lot like aligned, what has it looked like for you too? Yeah, totally. You know, the example that comes to mind is actually where the choice is the perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I was married for, we were together for almost over 10 years and now I'm divorced and I could choose to talk about that marriage in a way that everybody would be like, oh yeah. So typical ball and chain, blah, blah, blah. Oh, they didn't give you choices. What they, they, they steamrolled, your... but none of that actually is true. And it doesn't have to be true. And I have a choice about what language I use to talk about my marriage and my previous husband. I don't even call him my ex-husband, right? He's my former husband or my previous husband. And we had a very amicable divorce and I made decisions that led to the end as much as he did. And in hindsight, I can see all of the things I could have done to have it go differently. And I get to choose to talk about it that way, which is not always easy. It's much easier to gloss over it and talk about it in a stereotypical manner. Right. So at the time, I still, I still love my ex-husband, my former husband, right? I still love them. And so leaving somebody you love is really hard, mm. right? 
So the choice at the time was stay with this person and have a life that they want that I don't necessarily align to or leave them and know that I'm breaking their heart and mine. Neither was a really great choice. They were both crummy. Mm. And it was as amicable as it could have been. We still talk from time to time. We text on our divorce anniversary. And that comes out of a choice about how I'm going to relate to the least crummy option. So there's that. I think there's just so much wisdom in what you're saying. Mm. And yet, first of all, I a hundred percent believe that like words matter. So I, I love, I love your intentionality there. And I also think that there's just so much wisdom in what you're saying, right? Like choices matter and how you relate to those choices matter. And when I think back to my own life and so many moments where I was just putting one foot in front of another to survive. Like I didn't even like you open and you're like, you always have that choice to take that pause, that breath. I was never taught that. Like I was never taught that growing up. And so I'm so curious, like what has that journey looked like for you to like, even get to that point of like acknowledging that you can like take that pause and like, look at your choices. That's a really great question. I, I don't know that I was ever taught it either. I was definitely not taught it either. And I don't know that there was like a moment where somebody said it to me and I like intellectually got it and like started applying it. I think it's something I have a, you know, we all have like these things about us, these statements or questions or like parts of our identity that we're committed to. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of mine is I don't want to be a statistic. Right. And I've had multiple times in my life where I was faced with choices. And some of my decision making process was if I go down this path, I'll be fulfilling on a statistic. And that's not okay with me. And there's certainly been times where I was like, I really want this path, but it'll make me a statistic. Can I be humble enough to get over that? (laughs) Right. On the flip side. But when when I was young, there was multiple choice, multiple times where I was faced with, if I do this, I'll be a statistic in this way. If I do this, I'll be a statistic in this way. I was homeschooled, right? Everybody thinks that being homeschooled, they have a certain image of like, usually not very flattering of what homeschool kids look like, especially from the eighties. And so I didn't, I didn't want to take that with me into my career. And so in interviews, I found myself starting to say like, Oh, where was your school experience? Right. Right. When you're young, they ask you about school. And I would start to say it and I'd be like, I don't want them to know that. So it's like, you try to pull the speech bubble back in. Right. And so I think that if I think back, I think that's when I started training myself, if I wasn't sure how to answer something, or if I noticed the little speech bubble moment happening to just stop and take a deep breath. And it's better in many cases to stop talking and have that awkward moment than to keep talking your way through it and say stuff that you can't unsay. I definitely more often than not choose the like backpedaling through like, oh God, I'm going down this path. Like, how do I pull it back? So I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm curious if you're comfortable sharing. I'm, I'm curious that that piece of your identity of like, you don't want to be a statistic. Like, what does that actually mean to you? I think, I mean, there's all sorts of like deep work I've done with therapy and stuff, right. To like unpack the roots of that and and where it comes from and whatnot. But ultimately there's a huge part of me that identifies with the archetype of rebel. And if I'm a statistic, that means I've become part of the norm. I'm, I'm normalized. I'm lumped in with a group of people that I then lose my identity into. And I made it mean a bunch of things, right? 
these days, that's not nearly as dominant of a conversation for me, right? That's part of the journey and the path that I don't regret or, you know, wish away, but it led me to where I'm at now, where I take that pause. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's, I think what it meant was it, it kind of, it felt at the time, it felt like it stripped away a little bit of my identity and lumped me in with this mysterious group of people, which has been a theme throughout life of like the, they, right. I wrote a poem in high school about they, and it became, I know I found it the other day. It became, it's become this theme. Cause I know I shared with you that I went on a road trip right after the 2016 election. So in 2017, I went on a road trip because everyone in the media was like, they burned a flag on the lawn. They attacked these people. They are wearing these hats and chanting these things. And they think this should have, I'm like, who, who, who's they? They as human beings, right? So like to go back to the earlier conversation, if I was lumped in a statistic, I became part of they, and I didn't like that dehumanizing aspect. And so where that played out in my recent adult life is I went on a quest to find they in humans. I wanted to humanize all of these different large demographics that people were making me sweeping statements about because I had a personal attachment to not being dehumanized as a statistic or a they. And so I wanted to give other people the opportunity to have that experience as well and to connect human to human without all of their labels potentially muddying the water between us. I love this so much. You, you know, we were joking earlier before we hit record about like fangirling. I'm failing fangirling right now. I'm going to like stop hitting record and be like, Greg, we're going to go on this road trip. So I want to know more. I want, I, I want to know what that experience was like for you. Yeah. Because I, I, I can't just to, to like put it in context. I couldn't agree with you more, right? Like each of us has our own beliefs, our backgrounds, experiences, and shit that we're bringing to the table. And it's only when we're actually able to acknowledge that the other person at the table, like while their experiences, beliefs, values might be vastly different from you, that they are human. And so like when you can find that those points of connection, it doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but acknowledging their humanness, like, like that is just so vital. I feel like in order to, to move the ball forward. So anyway, I'll, I'll end my spiel, but like, I'm just so curious. Tell me all the things. Yeah, no, I, I think you talk about the iceberg effect, mm-hmm. right? Like that, when I heard that episode, I was thinking a lot about this experience of my road trip and how, you know, people get labeled and that's just the tip of their iceberg, but underneath oh. they have all these other experiences and humanity that led them there. So I think it's important to give a little bit of context. So when I was married, I was a corporate consultant and I traveled a lot for work. So I had traveled internationally by myself with and without resources. I'd backpacked, stayed in hostels. Like I was a well-seasoned traveler when I took this on. I would not recommend somebody traveling around the world, connecting with extreme viewpoints that does not feel comfortable solo traveling, right? So there's that context. And I had retired from my corporate job. So I left, I had worked at the Walt Disney company last, but I had worked for large fortune 50 companies. I had comfortable resources and I had time. I didn't have a kid at the time. I wasn't married. I, I didn't have anything holding me down. So I had been nomading for a few years already living out of a suitcase, flying places, And I decided to live out of my car, which in and of itself was a whole big conversation, like choosing to live out of my car felt very privileged and it triggered a lot of stuff from, from my childhood, but it, it was fun. I had like a mattress in the backseat that turned it into this like flat surface. And like, I was very, felt very great as a woman in America to be self-sufficient in that way. 
Mm. Like there was something very empowering about that. And so I packed my car, which felt luxurious after a suitcase. And I took off with two weeks planned. And I said, mom, dad, I have no idea when I'll be back. (laughs) Cause they were kind of my hub, right? When I was back to back home, it was to see mom and dad. And I just put a blast out on social media and through my email list and just all my different networking opportunities and said, I want to stay with people who are part of they groups, right? Extreme viewpoints that are open to having a temporary roommate for just a night or two and open to sharing with me their viewpoints. I don't want to change them. I don't, I don't want to debate. I just want to listen. I just want to understand. And you would be surprised how many people thought that was so odd and they wanted to meet this person, right? Like that's the number one reason people said yes, is it's such a weird request. I had to meet you in person, So <laughs> which was great. Right. So I did that for almost nine months. Wow. Yeah. I slept in 34 different beds in nine months. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I kept all the stats and I bartered it too, as I did it. So there was just this huge interplay of energy. The whole experience for me was how do we exchange energy in a way that feels good for everybody? The most extreme example, I'll start with like the most extreme we can go from there. One of the families I stayed with, I found out once I was on site that the men in the family are part of the clan. Hmm. Now your listeners can't tell this, but I look very Aryan. I am German descent, blonde hair, blue eyes. I was very welcome in their home and I have a black partner. And they knew that and they still welcomed me into their home. And so I spent three nights having conversations about their belief systems and where it came from and what felt true for them. And it took an enormous amount of energy Mm -hmm. and it was super fascinating because at the end of the day, what I learned is that they really, truly believe they're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And that took a lot for me to let sink in. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm so curious what that experience was like for you, like putting yourself back in those shoes, like having those conversations. And, you know, before we hit record, we're we're talking like, I get so many questions of like, when you're in those like uncomfortable conversations, like how do you have them, right? Like so many of us, especially as women, and I'm generalizing, I own that, like have been conditioned, right? Not not to speak up, not to, to speak our truth. And in some ways, when you're, when you're in these situations and you're just there to listen, it's, it's bringing some of that back up. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm curious for you, like your experience living with this family, you know, what did that, that I imagine it to be a roller coaster. I have no idea, but like, I'm putting myself in your shoes and I feel like I'd be like all over the place in terms of energy and emotion and, and, and thoughts. And so I'm just curious what that was like for you. Yeah. It's interesting because I would catch myself at times, myself at times, I would forget that that's their extreme viewpoint, right? They're cooking dinner for me. They're telling me about a local like specialty and they want to find somebody who will make it for me. And their kids are coming over for a barbecue. And, you know, it's, it's just everyday life. And I would find myself forgetting like, oh yeah, these people would wish my partner dead if they could like, that's heavy. And then to realize I'd forgotten about it. Like I would have moments of like shame or guilt of like, 
like I'd let my guard down, right? So there's that aspect. There's a lot of, I'm pretty spiritual and pretty woo-woo witchy kind of person. And so I did a lot of energy work and grounding work. I spent a lot of time by myself. You know, I would kind of say, hey, I'm going to go for a walk. I could just use some air, right? And like do some work to get myself back into a place, reminding myself that I am sovereign, that I can choose different options at any time, that my car is in the front yard, that I can leave whenever I want, that people know where I'm at, that I know the number for the police, right? Like pep talking myself. And I will say that I did actually leave that home. That is the only home that I left because I didn't feel safe. And it was only because they got to drinking one night and I didn't trust their drunk judgment. And so I chose to remove myself from the house in the middle of the night. That's the only time in my travels I ever did that. But until that evening, until the moment where I was like, yeah, I'm not going to stay through the night. I, I never felt unsafe and they never actually did threaten me. I never felt like they were coming after me. I just felt like I couldn't trust them to have grounded discernment anymore. And that felt hmm. dangerous in the circumstances, but it was managing my energy. Right. But for the, how it's, it's a really interesting practice of listening and holding space, right. Asking a question from a genuine place and then very literally biting your tongue. Because when they come back with, I believe the Bible says that if you aren't of a certain race or descent, that you are not human, every piece of my being wants to scream, what, how did you get that? Right. And they're not sharing it with me out of a, like, they're not coming from a negative place. Like they're genuine, their hearts in it. They, they feel like this is what God has told them to do. And so it's just, it's really fascinating to be with. And it takes a lot of work to keep your mouth shut. If that's really what you're genuinely wanting to do is listen, is it's a lot of practice of not responding, of just asking questions. And I think what you're hitting on is that notion of like active listening, right? Like active listening to what the other person's saying, but also active listening to yourself, right? Like in that moment where you're like, mm, you know what, like it, like the switch is flipped and I'm, I'm ready to go. Like actively listening to, to what you need to, I mean, going back to like what we were talking about, like the choices. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think so often, you know, my background is in sales and I spent many, many years building relationships and it's, it's all about asking questions, being curious. But I think so often we forget about the listening, not listening to respond, not listening to like change somebody's opinion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I commend you. Like, I don't know if I could have put myself in, in your shoes and, and, and not responded. And so, I mean, I just, I, I think the world of, of the fact that you even decided to do a trip like this and, you know, you went for two, you're like, I'm going for two weeks. And then nine months later, like, around. I mean, it's just, I find it fascinating, right? Because I'm sure along the way you just met some like really amazing humans. I really did. I really did. And, you know, the, I think the piece as you're talking about active listening, there's trust required in yourself, Mm -hmm. right? Especially if you're in a situation of active listening, where the tide could turn, Mm -hmm. you really have to trust yourself to know when that moment comes, if it does and be in the moment to your point of not thinking, I was never thinking about what I would say. If I caught myself thinking about what I would do to rebut what they were saying, I would take a deep breath and try to clean my mind out, like cleanse myself and, and focus back in on what they were saying. Cause that wasn't why I was there. Right. So trust and being present. And I did meet some really cool people. I stayed with a family of Mormons 
and their kids were like so welcoming and we had so much fun playing different games and they got, I was, that was actually, um, an Airbnb room that they had opened up to me. We met through connections, but they typically Airbnb it. And so there was like rules around how the Airbnb worked and the kids weren't supposed to interact with the guest, but I wasn't really a traditional Airbnb guest, right? And so I wanted to play games with them. And so we had to have this whole conversation about how it was okay that they were in my room playing board games. That was actually an invitation I made. So that was a lot of fun and learning about their belief system and where they come from and how they were raising their children and how much their children already knew at such a young age about their belief system was really fascinating. And even just little conversations with people in coffee shops and things, you know, my whole game for that entire road trip was to be open and listen and find the humanity in people, which for me is really finding the God in people. And so I just made, I made so many random little connections and little memories with people and with myself and with nature. You know, I spent a lot of time in nature recharging between runs of being with people. So yeah, human, human beings in general were kind of like a focus of study for me for a while. I'm so curious how this experience like what's coming up for me is like the, I want to say like changed you, but I I don't necessarily mean like that. Like, I'm just like reflecting on it now. What, what are some of those like ahas or I guess better said, I'm going to take this back better said, like, you know, you going into this experience, right? I'm sure you had certain goals for yourself and certain, you know, like to find the humanity and humanity in people. And I'm curious, you know, it sounds like that was met, but I'm sure other things came up for you in that experience. And so I'm curious what that, those were. Yeah. I really didn't have a lot of goals. That was part of the game for me. Cause I am a goals person. I'm a project manager by trade. <laughs> and so that was kind of part of the game of like, I only had two weeks worked out, right? Like it's in my nature to have mapped out the entire thing, know exactly what the budget was, the mileage, where my mechanics are along the way. Like I didn't do any of that. Right. So part of it for me was being in the flow and trusting the process and trusting that the right people would show up at the right time. But what I got out of it, the biggest lesson I got is like, I get on a visceral level that 99% of humans are doing what they think is right. No matter how much I disagree with them, I get on like a cellular level that that is true for most people. And going through the rest of the, the time with that particular leader of our country. And even now over the past couple of years with a pandemic and everything becoming very divisive, right? It feels like every conversation is politicized right now. It's triggered me a lot less than other people in my world. And I attribute that to my time on the road and that cellular knowingness that the person on the other end of that conversation really is just trying to do what they think is right. It's not personal to you. It's about them. Also got a really strong sense of independence I did not grow up in a camping family. So sleeping in my car in the middle of Utah for like a week on the edge of the Grand Canyon, that sort of thing was like a big, like triumphant moment for me Yeah, to feel like I'm a city girl. Sh- I'm sure. <laughs> I'm just appreciating like the one time I went to the Grand Canyon and I was like, okay, check. <laughs> I, don't know if I, can, I don't know if I could do like a week in my car. <laughs> Yeah. I stayed in my car. I hiked the rim by myself. You know, I, yeah, I bought equipment along the way, realizing I was ill-prepared. Like I did all the things. I also, as an extrovert really found my balance in my extrovert and introvertness and the value of having time alone with myself and how great company I can be. I think that's something that we often kind of forget about 
in a society where everyone's so connected that we are great company to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And just generally speaking, trust in myself and trust in others to show up at the right time. There was multiple times where I would start driving and not know where I was going to sleep that night. Wow. Worst case church parking lot, Walmart parking lot, police officers, parking lot, right? Like I had a backup plan, but I didn't necessarily know it was going to be drive till I was tired and find a local safe place to sleep. And most of the time I'd get a text or a call from somebody going, Hey, so-and-so said that you were in my area and looking for a place to sleep. If you don't mind eating mac and cheese and hot dogs, you can stay in our guest room, you know? And so that sort of trust that it will, it will work out. I think that I love that we're sort of ending on, on that lesson because I think, again, I, I'm just basing off my own experience. Like I was not raised to trust myself. I was not raised. I just, I wasn't, it wasn't modeled for me, I guess is like the right mm-hmm. way to say it. Mm-hmm. And so it, that's been like a huge life lesson for me. And it's still something that I, I'm learning. And it's so important for me as I think about my children of, of how do I get them to understand that and how do I model that for them? And so I'm curious, like what, what that journey of trusting yourself has looked like for you. Yeah. I think that a lot of times in life, we tend to either mirror what's modeled for us or the opposite. I'm like, we resist being that thing. Mm -hmm. And my parents are boomers. They grew up in a very like submissive culture of like, you do what your generation before you told you to do. And that rebel in me, we talked about was like, I'm not going to be that. Right. And so from a very young age, I would test boundaries and kind of go off and do the opposite of what I was told. (laughs) I mean, my parenting, my parents' journey, very fun, but it's been a lifelong and I'm still on it. Right. Like I'm a newish mom, my kids under the age of two. And so I'm, I'm constantly finding new places where I'm noticing I don't trust myself. Even like this week, my kid seems to be done with breastfeeding and I'm over here going, should I force it? Should I try again? Is this the right time? Am I depriving them of nutrients? Right. So it's never over. So I think that's a really important piece is that I don't know that any of us are done learning to trust ourselves, especially in a society that's set up to tell us not to, that we should trust the advertisers or the machine or the man or whatever. Right. So I think it's just a lot of micro moments for me and that rebellious nature and coming out of a desire to not be what the generation before me was, which is not necessarily a healthy place, but it's led me where I'm at. (laughs) I mean, I get it. My parents are also boomers and, you know, my grandparents were immigrants. And so, you know, it was like assimilate and we don't, we don't speak of like the old country. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, and I can so relate to that. And I think that you're right. It, it is, it's a journey. Like there's no, there's no end point, I think, because there's always new experiences where you, I don't want to say you're questioning yourself, but like you're, you're, you're just questioning, you're put in a new situation. You're like, how do I handle this? Right. And mm-hmm. so I think, I mean, even literally like even this week, we're like dealing with a situation with like my oldest daughter and in a situation at school and like, right before this, I was in therapy. And so I was like talking to my therapist and I was like, I mean, 
am I like handling this the right way? And so, right, like that's just a, a, a process that I think, you know, you're put in these situations and to your earlier point, to come full circle and all this is like, you have that choice, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the choices are shitty. And yeah. like, what is like the the path to least resistance of like the shittiest, the shittiest path? And, mm-hmm. and that's okay, right? Like you're, you're, you're gonna get through it one way or another. And so, you know, for me, one of my journeys has been to ask for help. I'm really bad at it. Very much so. My husband, I think I've gotten better. My husband probably disagree. And so I'm, I'm curious for you, and this will probably like be the last question as, as, we, as we like come full circle to this, but like going back to your choices, like when you've taken some of those paths, you know, and it might be a path that's harder for you. Like what has gotten you through that path? Hmm. That's a really great question. I'm going to sit with that for a second. I think some of it is pure grit and stubbornness. Probably a lot of it is pure grit and stubbornness. And to your point, asking for help, I had a big turning point when someone at some point pointed out to me that when I help people, I feel really good. And by asking others for help, I'm giving them that opportunity. And by not asking for help, I'm robbing them of that opportunity in an effect. That was a really big turning point for me. I've had a few spaces in my life where I got really sick or had a big health crisis. And when you deal with something like that, you kind of are left without a whole lot of choices in, in the fact that you're going to ask for help, whether it's of your friends or the ambulance when it comes, right? Somebody's going to help you. And so you get to choose what that help looks like. But at the end of the day, for me, it's all about what feels aligned. What, what can I live with myself for? What am I going to look back and regret or not regret? I try not to have regrets, right? And if I have them, I try to use them as a learning opportunity, And so sometimes the choices come down to what will I regret least, (laughs) right? Or like, will I regret having not taken this risk, Mm -hmm. right? That's a big one. But I think it really comes back that I'm, I'm a pretty stubborn, like I got a lot of grit underneath it all. And I think that's really what kind of has pushed me through a lot of my paths is like the determination to keep moving forward. I love it. I'm so glad we connected. I feel like we could literally continue to have this conversation for hours, but I won't keep you. Are you ready for some quick fire questions? Sure. All right. I'm trying to decide which questions I want to ask you. Who taught you to be? Mm. I think the truth is I taught myself and the, it, I'm still learning some key influencers though, would be my parents. I had a professor, Doc Lewis in college that was just Oh, exactly what I needed. <laughs> I love Carolyn Mace and her work. My partner's been my best friend for 20 plus years. I've learned so much from them. And now I have a toddler. So they're teaching me all sorts of ways of being. Love it. Yeah. Isn't that funny how little humans do that? They do. <laughs> I always <laughs> they do they're my, so much. They're my mirrors. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Finish the sentence. Connection is juicy. Ooh like that answer. (laughs) And how do you know when you're seen and heard? Mm. My love language is acts of service. So I think I feel most known 
seen, heard when people put time and effort into doing something for me. I had a fledgling relationship with a friend and they showed up to like a coffee date, you know, with like this little basket of everything lavender, like lavender soda, lavender brownies, lavender candles, all the lavender things, just because like for no reason. And they heard, they just, they heard me one day mention how much I love lavender things. And they went all over town and collected these items just for me. And it wasn't the gift. It was the time and the thoughtfulness. I think those are the moments when somebody does something that lets me know they've been paying attention. Mm. That makes me feel really loved and seen and heard and known. I love that. Sunny, how can people continue to follow you on your journey? I'm on all the social things. I'm new on TikTok. So if you follow I was me actually there, be gentle. Even, even TikTok? Even TikTok. The kids convinced me I needed to be on the TikTok. I am impressed. So, Yes. Be gentle with me though. Cause I don't know if I'm doing it. Right. <laughs> not even on TikTok. I cannot judge. Uh, but you can find all of that. I teach classes online, all the social medias. I write on medium.com often, but all of that is linked from my website, which is wildflowerstrategy.com. Sunny, thank you so much for this conversation. I, I have learned a lot. I am just so grateful that we connected and thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If something in the conversation resonated with you, please, please share it with a friend that you think needs to hear this conversation. Feel free to tag me on social media. Let me know how you're listening, where you're listening, and what resonated. Tag me at This Is My Truth Podcast, or feel free to shoot me a DM. And because we're a new podcast and this shit matters, I would love for you to leave me a rating and review. Tell me how you truly feel. This entire podcast is about vulnerability and authenticity. So let me know how you really feel and give me some feedback. I really appreciate it.